What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for being here with us on this Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. My name is Joe Orico, and I am your host. You guys can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99. And today we are wrapping up the week with a very special guest. I am thrilled to be joined by Mike Carter today. He is a writer for both Fantrax and SP Streamer. And you can find him on Twitter at MDRC0508. Mike, thank you for joining the show today. I really appreciate it, man. Well, Joe, thanks for having me. I've been wanting to come on for a while, and I was really glad that you asked me last week. Um, You're doing a great job, and uh, I really like your voice for these things. You're doing uh, really awesome stuff. I really appreciate that, man. I'm still uh, new in this fantasy world, fantasy analyst world, but uh, I I really appreciate guys like you who have been so gracious and coming on in the early going. So should be fun today. We're going to get into some White Sox stuff and some other uh, general baseball stuff. And maybe if we have time at the end, we'll touch on a music question or two if we have time. So I was thinking maybe we'd start off with talking about the the blowout game from yesterday where they won 13 to nothing against the Tigers. We're recording this uh, Thursday evening for those of you wondering why we are uh, discussing it in those terms. But uh, Wednesday Wednesday afternoon, they had a blowout victory, 13 to nothing. Do you see that as kind of a turning point for guys like Joan Moncada or do you think that's just a, kind of a blip on the radar? Well, let's hope, let's hope it's not a blip on the radar, Joe. Let's hope that that's a sign of good things to come. I mean, um, I'm a long suffering White Sox fan. I've been uh, following the White Sox for more than 40 years and uh, it's, there's been a lot of lean years in between there. And this was the year, you know, that they were kind of shooting for, or so we thought they were shooting for the, uh, the championship, you know, getting to the World Series and building a team that had the depth to be able to withstand this kind of stuff and get there. Um, Detroit is, uh, is pretty awful right now. And I think they have 31 home runs. It's June 16th. Uh, they're not hitting at all. Um, they have some injuries as well and some ineffective players. And so I think it's hard to read too much into that. I, I think I'm a little bit more, uh, inspired by the fact that they swept Detroit, which is something that they should be doing, uh, in light of coming to some tougher games here in the next week or so. And I'm hopeful that with um, the news that Tim Anderson is on his rehab start, he he played last night in Charlotte, got two hits, um, hoping that he'll be activated um, this weekend at some point. Um, with him coming back and, and hopefully Eloy, who I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, coming back as well, um, maybe if they can get some health, they might be able to string some uh, things together in spite of Tony LaRusso's best attempts to ruin it. Uh, so I, I think it's probably a blip on the radar, but this is a team that can hit like a softball team when they're hitting. So maybe with the warmer weather, maybe they're going to start to catch fire here. Who knows? From a fantasy point of view, do you see Moncada as being someone who is worth holding on to? Do you think this is going to be the start of a turnaround for him or what, what are your thoughts on him? I think it totally depends on your league context and where you're at. I mean, um, I, I'm a bit of a Mancata apologist. I've always really liked the guy. Um, I, I, maybe it's because I just really want to believe that he's the thing that we traded Chris Sale for. Um, but I, I think in a in a in a 15 teamer, I'm I'm hanging on because uh, there's not a, a wide variety of options out there. Should you cut him and should he get hot? Um, he's hitting 244 this month, mostly fueled by the five hit performance of last night. Uh, but I think I'm holding on to him there. I think in 10 and 12 teamers, I'm probably looking elsewhere. Um, I think he's probably a safe guy to cut at this point in those leagues. That makes sense to me. Uh, there's another guy who I want to talk about quickly. Well, there's a couple more guys, but Yasmani Grandal, I feel like at such a weak position for, uh, fantasy-wise in catcher, you kind of have to hold on there. I know he's injured, but what will you? Uh, what, what do you think about him? Do you think we'll see a turnaround from him, or, or do you think he's going to pass it? 
Catcher's a really interesting position this year, isn't it, Joe? I mean, we, we have a, an influx of some young guys that uh, seem like they're going to be good players that maybe aren't fantasy relevant totally yet. Uh, guys like Adley Rutschman, who are going to be good down the road, but not really doing much now. I'm holding on to Grandal at this point. Um, I, I think that he's never going to hit for a high average, but really, if you look at league totals, nobody's really hitting for a very high average these days. And the power is legit. He's he's liable to go on a on a streak when he comes back and is healthy, where he hits a few home runs. I mean, I think he'll get into double digit home runs. And at the end of the season, if you're getting double digit home runs out of one of your catcher spots, I think you'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially if you're in an OBP league or in a points league, he's really going to help you out there with the with the walk rate. Great point. Yeah, very much so. Uh, Eloy Jimenez, you mentioned him earlier. What do you, uh, how do you see his future happen? Or what do you think is going to happen this year? I'm kind of fumbling over my words a bit there, but how do you see him performing the rest of the season? You know, I, he's such a tough one for me to understand. I, I you know, I, I'm, um, I watch a lot of games and I go to a lot of games and, and there's a lot of murmurs on Twitter about Eloy, especially up here in Chicago. You know, he, uh, he got pulled from his rehab assignment last week with what they were calling normal leg soreness. Uh, because his uh, rehab assignment was about to end, they had to put it on pause, which means they have to restart it again, which means he's going to supposedly be playing this weekend and maybe get a week or two of at-bats. Um, there's almost this mythic status to him, I think, because of the fact that the Cubs traded him to the Sox in the Jose Quintana deal. By the way, for those Cub fans that are out there, thank you. Um, giving us Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease for Jose Quintana was maybe the steal of the century for the White Sox. Um but if you really look at his statistics, Joe, over the last year, there's there's not a lot to like here. Um, he had seven home runs last August, and everyone remembers that. He got really hot for about a three-week stretch there, and everything he hit, he put a charge into. His exit velocity was super high. But really, since the All-Star break of last year, he's not done a heck of a lot. I think he's got, outside of that seven-home run month, which I know we can't take away, I think he had five home runs um, in, in about a four-month period. And so... It's uh, it's hard to say. I mean, his exit velocities are routinely in the top 6% of the game, but he's inconsistent, and in weekly leagues, he really hurts you in that regard, and he's constantly hurt. Um, you know, last year, this was a guy who, in a spring training game, memorably and moronically, tried to jump over the fence and steal a home run on a ball that was at least, you know, six to eight feet away from where he was at. I still have – I watch it on replay sometimes because I still can't believe that he even tried to do it. And more so, I more so, I can't believe that he actually thought he had a chance to catch it. Um, Eloy is really not a, a, a very good outfielder either. It's a, it's kind of like watching a guy on roller skates try to play left field sometimes. So I'm not really sure what to make out of him. I think uh, a lot of people in Chicago um, are kind of quietly championing uh, Andrew Vaughn to let him play left field and and you know take what you get from Eloy when I guess he comes back. There's a lot of people who think that he might be a trade candidate as well. Uh, but he's got to have some value for them to be able to do that. I don't think he's a trade candidate. I think he's a guy that hits 30 home runs if he's healthy, uh, just really by being able to play and by volume. Uh, I think the White Sox love him. Uh, I don't love him because the guy, he, it's pretty obvious that he won't play unless he's 100%. Um, and it, it really hurts the team, and, and I don't care for that kind of thing. But in, from a fantasy perspective, it's hard to find those guys that are going to hit 30 home runs, right, Joe? So, you know, it's a guy that maybe you hang on to for a while and see what you get out of him. Yeah, I don't know that you can you can go ahead and drop him, like you said, just because of the potential. And when everything's working in the White Sox lineup, they can be very potent. I mean, once Abreu, Abreu started to figure it out more recently, if Grandal comes back and is healthy and performing like we've seen him in the past, uh, Luis Robert, there, there are a lot of great pieces in that lineup. 
And you mentioned Andrew Vaughn, and we did have a question on Twitter. I did uh, mention on Twitter that you'd be coming on. And we had a question from John Chin. I think it's Chinock. Forgive me if I'm uh, pronouncing the name wrong. He wanted to know how we feel about Andrew Vaughn rest of the season in a points league. I'm feeling pretty good about him. He's had more regular playing time, but I'll I'll defer to you on this. What do you feel about Andrew Vaughn? Well, I don't think you need to defer to me at all. I mean, I think I totally agree with you. I think um, he brings up a really valid point. This is a guy that, um, with regular at-bats, has actually shown um, really well, I think. Um, Tony La Russa, for reasons that nobody fully understands, doesn't always like to play the young guys that have talent. Um, he likes to play Lori Garcia and Josh Harrison every night, no matter what, no matter what's going on. But uh, Vaughn is a, you know, he was a, a top three pick two years ago in the 2019 draft, third pick overall in the first round. He's got six home runs. He's hitting 315. OBP is uh, 370, uh, 855 OPS for a guy that's playing uh, essentially uh, in a part-time role. Um, I, I think he's a guy that really um, has some hidden value. Um, especially in, in deeper leagues, but in points leagues, I really like him uh, in that um, aspect as well. I think I think he's a, a burgeoning, a really good burgeoning hitter, and a lot of um, people in Chicago, me included, think that he is the heir apparent to first base when Jose Abreu decides to either pack it up and move on or uh, retire. Which those, there's all these always these rumors going around about Jose, um, and I know that they really don't want to trade Vaughn, nor do I think that they should. Um, he seems to really adjust between at-bats, and I think he could just flat-out hit. I mean, I, th- I think he's a guy that if they let him play, I think he could have some pretty good numbers. I'm not sure about the power. You know, there was a lot of comparisons when he came out of college to uh, Jeff Bagwell, uh, just based on um, the size and um, the, the swing path. Um, I would be, obviously, I'd be thrilled with that. Jeff Bagwell's a Hall of Famer. But um, there are some similarities there, especially in the way that they go about their business. Um, Vaughn left alone, I think, uh, would be a, could be a 300-hitter with double-digit home run uh, potential as well. We are here chatting with our White Sox expert, Mr. Mike Carter, who is a writer for both Fantrax and SP Streamer. You guys should go give him a follow on Twitter, at MDRC0508. We're going to get into a couple more White Sox questions, and then we'll move on to some more broader uh, Major League questions. Uh, Liam Hendricks, they announced uh, today or yesterday that he's going to be probably missing at least a few weeks. Uh, Second time he's had some injury problems this year. I think it's the second time. Is he someone that you are worried about rest of season? Well, you know, th- this is, you know, reason number one why it's always a gamble to take uh, relief pitchers so highly. And I, I'm sure you probably saw that in your drafts this year, too. But uh, in some of the expert league drafts that I was in, I saw Hendricks go as high as the second round. Um, wow. you, usually, yeah, r- wow, I was right. Um, I wasn't willing to pay that price. Uh, somebody did, and now they're without him for about, about three weeks. Uh, Rick Hahn was on the radio this morning, uh, yesterday morning, I'm sorry, uh, and said that they feel that this is a relatively minor issue. The estimate that is that he's going to be about three weeks out, uh, do a quick rehab stint, and then he'll be back. But there's a little-known fact about Hendricks that I think is really important to point out here, and that's that over the last 10 years, he's been known to pitch with a partially torn UCL. A forearm strain to me and a guy who's a max effort guy like Hendricks is seems really ominous to me. Um, I guess we have to take his word for it, though. I mean, he knows his body best. And if he thinks that he's going to be back quickly, then I guess we have to take his word for it. Um, my best guess right now is that Kendall Graveman takes that job. He he was the closer in Seattle last year before they traded him to Houston, uh, which was an interesting move that they made at the time and uh, raised a lot of eyebrows in Seattle. But Graveman's been really good for the White Sox in that eighth inning role. 
Uh, although the other night in a, with a 5-1 lead against Detroit, they did use Reynaldo Lopez in the ninth. Um, uh, another one of Tony LaRusso's love children. Um, he's, he's obsessed with Ronaldo Lopez. He, I think he wants to pitch him every day. Um, the, Joe Kelly came back from the IL this week too, which is huge for them, considering that Aaron Bummer went to the IL with a last train. So the depth is really being tested right now. Uh, another guy to watch here potentially is Kyle Crick, uh, who was a first round draft pick a few years ago, uh, has kind of, um, muddled around in the minor leagues, but uh, is is actually shown pretty well the last couple of weeks since he's been back up. Um, he's got a pretty nasty slider. Uh, last I checked, I think he's got 15 strikeouts and 37 at-bats with that slider. So um, he might actually become a guy that's a, that's a weapon. And it doesn't seem like every year, Joe, that a, a good bullpen, every, any good bullpen always finds some guy off the scrap heap who ends up being a stud that year, and then maybe the next year is garbage again. And maybe Crick would be that guy for them. You know, they take him off the scrap heap and maybe they fix something and find something and he becomes a usable piece for them down the road. Daniel Hudson kind of comes to mind mm-hmm. when you mentioned that this season for the Dodgers. We've seen him. I, he had a rough outing, uh, I think, Friday or Saturday of last week. But overall, he's been uh, probably their most most valuable arm in the pen. And speaking of Dodgers arms in the pen, are you thinking that you guys would have rather held on to Kimbrell, seeing how the season has gone with Hendricks? Or are you, are you okay with that swap for Pollock? You know, I... At the time, um, when they made the trade in the summertime last year, I thought, well, that could be the thing that helps push them over the top. Uh, it didn't work out that way. Um, Kimbrell uh, really struggled in an eighth inning role, and it was pretty well known. Uh, he had he had spoken pretty open and on, openly and honestly about that, uh, that that he was really struggling with not having the ball in the ninth inning. Um, and I think that it was a, a great idea on paper. You know, if you go back to the – 2015 World Series when the Royals won and they had that triple-headed monster in the bullpen. I really think that's what the Sox were trying to replicate last year. Obviously, it didn't come together. Uh, obviously, they were eliminated by a better Astros team in the in the playoffs. But um, I don't regret that trade because I think Pollock has been a real stabilizing force on the team, even though they're only 30 and 31 right now. Um, La Russa in the last week has started using um, a more consistent lineup, and he's been using Pollock at the top and then um, has been using Andrew Vaughn batting second, which is a really nice look for them right now. Um, and Pollock really seemed to kind of catch fire a little bit. So I really like A.J. Pollock. I think he brings a veteran presence that they lack in the outfield. Uh, they got a lot of young guys who um, I would argue get by on talent and don't really know how to play the game as well as what a guy like Pollock does. Uh, and so I think he's been a really good – I really like that move. I know a lot of people were, were not thrilled with it, but I really liked it. Yeah, no, it seems to have been – I mean – I don't know how thrilled exactly the Dodgers are with what Kimbrell's given them. He's been okay. Uh, I don't think he's been – he hasn't been elite or anything. He's been fine. He's not been the Craig Kimbrell we have uh, come to grown to love over these years. No, that's true. Um, um, maybe we'll move on a little bit now from the White Sox for those uh, non-White Sox fans out there listening, hoping that we move on here a little bit. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to ask you – what do you think of the general product that we've seen of Major League Baseball this season? I was looking at attendance numbers, and you can't really compare from last year or the year before because of COVID. But when you go back to the last time that we had uh, fans going out to the ballpark on a regular basis, 2019, we were seeing about 28,000 attendees per game, and it was kind of between 30 and 28,000 over the last few seasons. Now this year we're seeing 25,000 fans on average per mm-hmm. game. We've seen it go down a bit. Uh, do you think that's because there's a lesser product? Do you think it is a lesser product? What are your thoughts exactly on the state of the game? Well, that's a really, really interesting question. And that's a, that's one that you could answer over several beers at the local tavern, right? Absolutely. You know, um, I, I think uh, I'm fine with the lack of offense. 
Uh, I really like, I like good pitching. I like good defense. I'm old. I'm an older guy. I'm old school in that regard. So that doesn't really bother me. I think the thing that bothers me the most is that I, I would really like them to decide what the baseball is. Uh, what ball are we using? What are we doing with this? What are we saying? What's inbounds? What's out of bounds with that stuff? Um, it, it seems pretty obvious over the last month that they've done something to the balls again, right? I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to really kind of figure that out. And I think that part of the reason why fans aren't going back uh, and and why people are, are, I think people are still a little worried about COVID. Um, we've in Chicago here in the, in the collar counties, uh, we've had a spike and we're back in the in the high transmission level, even though people aren't sick as they were the first time around and, and deaths are down. Thank God. Um, people, I think, are staying away for because of that. And I think the other thing is the, the fan experience for people is become kind of blah. They're, they're, the MLB does not market guys the way that they should be marketing these guys. You know, um there's a, a commercial that's been seen around here, and I don't know if you've seen it up there in, in Canada where you're at, but that Bryce Harper and Tim Anderson commercial where they're comparing Hamburg. Oh, you know, you know what? You guys don't have Dairy Queen there, do you? Yeah, yeah, we got Dairy Queen. We oh, do you Dairy have Dairy Queen? Queen? Okay, yeah. okay. Sorry. So they have. So they've been doing this commercial, and and I'm like, this is what they should be doing, right? You got two young superstars, both really fun players to watch, and. I have my son sitting next to me who obviously knows who Tim Anderson is, but Bryce Harper standing next to him and he goes, who's that guy? And I'm like, dude, that's Bryce Harper. Like, why are we not marketing the game to kids? Like I'm almost 50 years old. I know what I like. I'll go to games when I got the opportunity to, I've got disposable income. I bought this hat last week at the Dodgers game where Tony La Russa <laughs> intentionally walked Trey Turner with two oh outs <laughs> and two strikes. Anyway, long story short, um, I think the problem is more so with the fact that the, the prices are out of control. A family of four can't afford to go to a game. I can afford to take my son, Jack, but the four of us can't go. It would cost me $300. It's cost you $25 to park your car. It costs, you know, somewhere between $35 and $50 a ticket to get a decent ticket. By the time you feed everybody, by the time you get a beer or two, you're, you know, you're soaked for a lot of money there. And so if, if you're not getting the product, the way that people really want it. I think we need to be taking that into consideration, but why are we not? We have all these young minority players that are superstar athletes. The the athletes are better today than they've ever been at any time in my life. Why are we not broadcasting a game of the week on regular TV where a kid that's my son's age can see Fernando Tatis or where he can see, obviously he can see Luis Robert and these guys that are just unbelievable. But like the other night, the ESPN game, they mic up Trout, right? Which yep. is cool. But then Otani doesn't play. It's the game of the week, for Christ's sake. Get him out there. My kid my kid wanted to see Otani play on Sunday night. And then I had to tell him that he was sitting. And he goes, why is he benched? <laughs> That's a really good question, Jack. You know? Um, but I think that kind of stuff, we have a long way to go in this country, obviously. Our race relations have been garbage for since the beginning of time. But we have a long way to go to marketing the game to kids. These guys play with a joy and abandonment that we have not seen ever, really. You know, I mean, let's market that stuff. And I think that's a huge part of the problem. If you go out into the suburbs, you're just as likely to see kids playing soccer, lacrosse, flag football, right? Yeah. Um, track, all of these things that compete. And MLB does a terrible job of marketing this um, to kids. And so I see a whole generation of kids. I coach my son's team. I see a whole generation of kids that are playing baseball because their parents are forcing them to do something to get off of their devices. Yeah. 
And, and, and I think MLB's got a long way to go with that. So I'll get off my soapbox. I said this could be a several beer conversation at the local tavern. But I don't think there's anything wrong with the product. I don't care that the game is three hours long. That doesn't bother me in the least. Can we make it so that kids find something exciting about it so that they can see Tatis playing and, you know, on TV so that they, they can see Juan Soto and these guys that are just miraculous players, but nobody knows them outside of the talents that they play in. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with everything that you said. Uh, I saw something, it was a couple months ago, but LeBron James had more Twitter followers than every major league baseball player combined or something. It was some. Right. ridiculous like that and and why is that because you can turn on the tv the tv during the week and you can watch an nba game on abc and you'll probably see lebron or you'll probably see durant or or stephen curry steph curry the guys that you're going to know and you're going to see that every kid knows i walk around town here and i see kids wearing steph curry uh, steph curry jerseys i'm in chicago we're thousands of miles away from where steph curry's playing but they know him because he's on tv yeah and even when they're not uh, playing they're still talked about if you watch first right. take first take right. or any of those morning shows uh they're always topics of discussion they always lebron is always in the discussion and i mean the, the race thing i think definitely plays a factor but even we saw with mike trout they didn't even market mike trout properly we've seen it over <laughs> these last 10 years they, they had a golden opportunity with this yeah. 22 year old however old he was when he came up i think he was about 20 maybe even 21 or maybe <clears throat> excuse me i don't I can't remember exactly, but 20 to 21 year old. Yeah. He was 20 when he came up. Yep. And they just, they just fumbled it. They couldn't, they couldn't find a way to market that somehow. I think Otani is a good global selling point for the game, especially in Asia. I think he's a huge, he's a huge draw. And I think they're starting to capitalize there a little bit, but there are still a lot of people who don't know a lot of baseball players names that they should Ronald Acuna Jr. Comes to mind. Great great example. I'd love to see Tatis uh, back on the field which would definitely help his, market, <laughs> that his would. marketability. But uh, I, I agree with everything you said. I don't think it helps either that there's, I don't know how many different streaming services that you need to subscribe to, to see some of these games. And there's Apple game of the week and all this nonsense. And, you know, you need six or seven different subscriptions to be able to watch everything. I, I get the odd out of market game that's broadcast on my local stations. And it's kind of a treat when they do. Uh, they do uh, free MLB pass stuff at the beginning of the year and right, sometimes right. To advertise. And those are always great. But as a whole, as a whole, it can be very hard to uh, absorb the product because it's just, it's hard to see it. It's, it's hard to see it. They make it hard. And one last point on that. Uh, when you're watching those Sunday night baseball games, it's the same eight or six, six or eight teams. Every time mm-hmm. Yankees, Red Sox, you get the White Sox in there, Dodgers, uh, Cubs, Cardinals. Uh, I I don't know if I've ever seen the Blue Jays on Sunday Night Baseball. <laughs> it doesn't matter how good. Which is which is ridiculous, right? Because yeah. they have one of the they have one of the best cores of talent in the major leagues, yeah. and there's no reason why kids all over the states in Canada and the world, for that matter, should not be able to see Vlad. Should not be able to see Bouchette, right? Yeah. Yep. My my no but, my my buddy Santiago Espinal, who's carrying my teams in a couple of different places right now. Oh, I mean, great. they should really be able to see these guys play, man. And that, that's the stuff that really drives me crazy. It's like, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I grew up about 10 minutes from Comiskey Park, where the Sox played. And my dad's company had season tickets, and the Sox were horrible. This was like between like 84 and like 90. And they were god-awful. And my dad's company had had like... 10 season tickets behind the first base dugout for every home game. And my dad would call at like three 30 in the afternoon, in the middle of summer. And my brother and I would be out playing baseball, just doing our thing. And he would call and say, Hey, the Orioles are in town tonight. Do you guys want to go see Cal Ripken tonight? Yeah. 
we want to go. Yeah. So we would go. So we would probably go to 20 or 25 games a year, be right up against the dugout, talk to the guys, get autographs. We were hooked from the time that we were seven, eight years old, like little, little kids. But that's because we had the opportunity to do it. If we had had to pay for that, we never would have gone because we were, we had no money, but we got these free tickets. So we got to see the Yankees and the Red Sox come in. And then you'd get a special treat because then you'd see somebody like you were just talking about. The Seattle Mariners would come to town. They were almost like a mythical thing because I, there was no internet then. You didn't even know where Seattle was. <laughs> these guys were coming from uh, out of nowhere and it's Bruce Bakhti and Barry Bunnell and these guys. And it was like in another world. And I, 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 this, it's so funny. I took Jack to the game last week and we're, he can't believe it. He's like, my God, that's Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is right there, dad. And I go, yeah, I, I'm aware, buddy. He's like, he's really good, dad. I'm like, yeah, he is. You know, he's one of the best in the game. And so that enthusiasm is coming because I'm almost forcing it upon him, the poor kid. But there's not a lot of that going on. You know, there's we. It, it's easier to give a kid a device and not talk to him for a couple hours than it is to interact with them and watch a ball game and try to teach them some of the finer points of the game. I get it. People are working hard and they're tired. But, man, we're, we're going to lose a generation of fans to the greatest game in the world, in my opinion, if we don't do something to start marketing these superstar guys to these kids. And they got to see it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, if they do happen to get off of their devices for a few minutes and see something on TV, it's probably going to be something to do with the NFL or the NBA or sports betting, and that will be what they're what <laughs> they're right. drawn to. I no, don't know that's about, a good point. I don't know about in Chicago, but they've just recently legalized like single game sports betting in Ontario, where I live, uh, in April, I think. And it's every every single set of commercials. There's at least two sports betting commercials, yeah. and I like the I like the odd sports bet, no problem. Uh, every other day, I'll put down a couple of bets here and there. But we're talking like Wayne Gretzky going on these ads and telling you that you should be subscribing. I mean, it's it's tough for young adults and even for some kids if they're able to, to fake their way into an account. They're going to be drawn into gambling. And a, a lot mm-hmm. of my close friends have really been drawn into gambling. And that's one way they're into sports, but they're not really invested in the sport. They're invested right. in making a couple of bucks. So exactly. It, it's a tough road we're going down here in terms of all sports, not just baseball. It's, it's a tough road for the future, for, for the young generation, for sure. Well, I'm going to vote for you for commissioner. <laughs> let's I do would, it i think uh i think we could pro- i think anybody could do a better job than uh than old rob but we could definitely here here i agree <laughs> we could definitely give him a run for his money a couple of other questions i wanted to get to you uh nick pavetta is someone who has baffled me recently i think he has six <laughs> six wins in his last seven outings yes uh, he does he's been outrageously good but he's down a little bit velocity wise from last year a mile or two on each pitch the StatCast numbers, if you go to the StatCast page, it's not particularly uh, visually appealing. For those of you who like to look at those uh, percentile rankings on StatCast, the, the red and blue balls, I do get a kick out of those. A lot of blue on his StatCast page. Sure not, a lot, not a lot looking great, but if you look at what he's actually been producing, he's been fantastic recently. Do you think that this is sustainable, or do you think that he'll come back down to earth pretty soon? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a full disclosure here. Um, I... I can't uh, do the Nick Pavetta thing anymore. <laughs> um, he um, he hurt me so badly in so many places in the last couple of years that even though this year uh, good friends of mine like Carlos Marcano were touting him and saying, get Pavetta as your third guy. It's like, there's no way I'm getting Pavetta at my, as my third guy if I have to draft him that high. And Carlos was like, do it, do it, do it. I was like, nope, nope, nope. And, and now it looks like Carlos is right. I don't see anything, you know, you're talking about the StatCast stuff, and, and I took a look at that too, and I don't see anything that's markedly different in what he's doing. We, we do know that sort of 
um, just anecdotally that good pitching is kind of contagious on a team. And and the the Red Sox have had a string of really good starts uh, in the last couple of weeks that seem to have started with Pavetta's kind of turnaround. Um, the thing that kind of jumped out at me when I looked at his stat cast, Joe, was um, – you know, last year uh, at, he was pitching in some bad luck, and he ended up with an ERA, uh, I think, over four, and his and his xERA, which I know is not a perfect statistic, but I still like to look at it. Uh, his xERA last year was three point eight one, so that's pretty usable. This year, his ERA right now is three point five. It was over ten in, in early May, if I recall, but his xERA is four point two five. There's really his strikeout rates down about three percentage points from last year. Uh, his walk rate's also down a little bit, which is which is great. Um, he seems to be, you know, um, limiting some of the hard contact a little bit more. I, I don't see it being sustainable for him, but there's a lot of people who are smarter than me who seem to think that it is. Um, I personally feel there's a lot of risk involved there, and I'm waiting kind of for the other shoe to drop. Uh, but he's been excellent. I mean, the last, like, seven or eight starts, he's been almost unhittable. I think he's only given up three runs once in that stretch, everything has been two, one or none. So um, there's a lot of people that are really happy with having him right now. Um, I don't have him anywhere. Uh, and I'm in about a dozen leagues. I don't have any shares of Pavetta right now. I have one points league share. Uh, I, I put it out on Twitter the other day that I think at this point, he's kind of have has to be a must roster player in, in until he proves that he's not. And Totally. I'm, not sure who, I'm not sure who coined the the phrase uh, Vargas rule. The I, <laughs> I don't I don't know if it was Nick Pollock or maybe one of those pitchers list guys. I'm not sure, but you pretty much you start a guy or he's just been great and, and you haven't expected him to be great and you kind of just start him until he gives you a reason not to. Uh, that's kind of I think where we're falling with him. But I think at this point he's you kind of have to just start him until he hurts. You absolutely, now. absolutely. Yeah, I would I would be in that position right now where he would be a must start for me if I had him. Like I said, I don't. So <laughs> I probably should have had a couple. Uh, I just I kind of blanked out on it. It was, I have this. I have this really bad complex where I take things personally that aren't meant to, that nobody would ever take personally. Um, and and him struggling in the last couple of years where I thought he was kind of a dark horse and 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 hurt me. I was like, I'm not going to set myself up for that kind of failure and hurt again. You know. Oh, uh, I, know. I, w- I was wrong about that one. It happens. Last year, I was really big on Luis Castillo. Uh, he was like the first or second pitcher I took in a couple of leagues, and he he ended up having the not bad last couple of months, but he yes. he, he killed me last year. He killed me, so I don't know that I'm going to be in on him for the next couple of years. At least I need to I need to reset. I think, although he he's been pretty good this year, Luis Castillo. He's yes, very, he has, and I think he'll probably end up getting traded at some point, which will help his value. But that that pain, I, I know exactly what you mean. You you get hurt by a player, and you kind of just hurt by them uh, forever. Boy, wouldn't wouldn't Luis Castillo look good in a White Sox uniform? Oof. Oh, I think he'd look good in <laughs> anywhere anywhere besides Great American Ballpark. I like anybody. Same with Tyler Molly. I know uh, if he gets traded, same kind of story. He'll definitely see a bump in value there for sure. One last kind of topic I wanted to, to broach with you: the Rookie of the Year races in each league. I haven't mm-hmm. really talked about this much on the show or with anybody that I've had on the show, but I wanted to get your take on it. Probably the favorite in the National League would be Mackenzie Gore and in the American League, probably Julio Rodriguez. But I wanted to know if you think there's any wiggle room there. Yeah, you know what's interesting is that before the season started, um, we were asked at um, uh, Fantrax to pick a uh, rookie of the year in each league. And I I picked Jeremy Pena in the American League, and and he's been really good. I know he's hurt now, 
Um, he's more than adequately replaced Carlos Correa at shortstop, I think, in, in Houston. Um, so he's a guy that could be a dark horse in there. I wouldn't count out Bobby Witt either. I mean, the, the more he starts to figure out the game, I mean, this guy is hitting rockets everywhere. Um, and, and, and he's had some struggle and the batting average isn't great, but, um, he, he looks like he's going to make good on that double digit home runs and double digit steals in his first year, which is really impressive for a young guy. Um, you know, he could put a, he could put a, a run in there too. I also think MJ Melendez could also be a guy that might sneak into there as well. You know, he's, uh, he's got some real power and, He's very quietly looked very good in Kansas City. Um, I don't know what his at-bats will look like down the stretch, but, um, you know, he's a guy that could be a dark horse as well. A lot of people I know like Joe Ryan going into the year too, but I, I wasn't really on that bandwagon. I um, I prefer to let, in, in most circumstances, to let a young guy prove to me first before I spend a lot of draft capital on him. And that's probably why I don't, I'm always competitive, but I don't always win. And I don't take risks on guys like that, that I don't really know exactly what they are yet. Like I'd like to see another year of data before I'm going to say, I'm going to make Joe Ryan be my third, uh, my third starter. I, I just wasn't in that, in that school this year. I, I know what you mean. Exactly. I had a question from someone on Twitter the other day about Alec Thomas versus O'Neill Cruz. And I sided with Alec Thomas just because he's come up and he's, he's already proven it this year to some degree. I mean, he's, He's hit some home runs. He's stealing bases. He's hitting for a high batting average. Cruz is probably more highly touted, but until they come up and they actually show that they can do it, I think you got to go with what you're what you've already seen at the major league level. So many guys, exactly. So so many guys come up and struggle. I'll take what I've already seen, and even if it doesn't continue, even if Cruz does come up and is more successful, I tend to uh, lean the safer routes, probably because, like we mentioned a second ago, we've been heard so many times over the years with different picks. Well, yeah, I mean, you, it's exactly what you say. I mean, O'Neill Cruz has pedigree, right? But Alex Alec Thomas has an opportunity to play every day. He's playing center field. He's great on defense. He's a gap-to-gap hitter. He's got five home runs already. He's got three stolen bases. He's hitting about 270. He's more than holding his own as a young rookie. And he's a Chicago guy, Mount Carmel kid. Um, he played in Kane County, we, our local minor league team uh, that was affiliated with the Diamondbacks. He was at A-ball there for about a year. We saw him play probably a dozen times. One of the nicest kids you'd ever want to meet. Signing autographs for kids after games, taking pictures. I mean, he was just a really, really good guy. So uh, we're rooting really hard here in the Carter House for Alec Thomas. Oh, I think he's going to be a seriously good ball player. Uh, just to mention the National League, do you think uh, Mackenzie Gore is going to run away with this, or do you think uh, maybe one of those St. Louis Cardinals guys could uh, sneak in the race here possibly? What do you think? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I mean, I think um, a lot of people in Chicago were, were, were touting Seiya Suzuki, but um, that strikeout rate, he strikes out like he's in Little League. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't I don't know if, if he's going to really be there, although I really find him an interesting guy to watch. Yeah, I think it's Gore. Um, you know, Luis Gonzalez out in San, San Francisco, former White Sox farmhand. Luis Gonzalez, who I guess we didn't need, um, is uh, is is doing really well in San Francisco. Although he's kind of cooled off, and he seems to be losing some at bats the last few weeks. Um, who knows? I mean, Brendan Donovan, you talked about St. Louis, um, is a guy that could sneak in, got really good plate discipline. Although his numbers might not really add up to being a um, a rookie of the year candidate. But what about Hunter Green? Hunter Green's another guy that you know he's shown the ability to be dominant in, in some short stretches. Maybe he's a guy that could end up sneaking into that. But I would say right now the the house favorite would be Mackenzie Gore, who's been lights out. And I, and I have to say, I didn't see it coming. I I, I put a late do- uh, $1 bid down on him in a couple of leagues that I was in uh, towards the end and just kind of as a dart throw and, and, and 
because of him, I'm doing really well in a couple of leagues where I got really lucky and just took him late. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. In terms of uh, his teammate, Brandon Donovan's teammate, I think Nolan Gorman may have a chance depending on if he can heat it up yes. a little bit. He's kind of cooled off uh, recently, but I think he, he does have a chance if he heats up. And Spencer Strider, maybe t- t- just real quickly, he's been yeah. lights out. And I talked about him on my show yesterday. I think he'll probably stay in the rotation. And if he does, I think there's a, he's, he's going to be in the running for that award. The strikeouts are very uh, eye-appealing to, to voters. I think that number will pop out at them. Do you think that they'll limit his innings, though? I haven't heard anything about that, but do you, is that a concern that you have with him? Uh, I think that it's possible they're not gonna they're not gonna kill him but i think there's also a chance that they might go with six starters because they've got oh. they've got morton I, I, i'm this is just pure conjecture but with charlie morton they have freed they have anderson they have kyle wright they have mike soroka coming back too so they're gonna have six fairly viable guys now morton's probably at the bottom of that list but he's also paid fairly well and i, I don't know what kind of uh if they're gonna want to do that to him morale wise to put him in yeah. the bull, in the bullpen at this stage of his career i so that might be a limiting uh, factor for Strider's innings right there. If they have six pitchers, it's hard to say exactly. Maybe, maybe they take one of the guys out and maybe it's Strider. Maybe it's Strider who goes back to the bullpen just because they figure he's still young. Uh, give him some time to work long relief and, you know, he'll still be effective there. Probably hurt could his rookie. Sorry, go ahead. Could be an interesting guy to use as a stopper, right? I mean, not as a closer, but as a guy that you bring in for a two inning stint when you need uh, a bridge guy to get to the bullpen, you know, yeah. maybe down the road, who knows? No, I think he's got stuff that can definitely play as a starter. But uh, absolutely, this, this year uh, it's a little crowded there. And like I said, I don't, Charlie Morton is kind of I don't know where to stand on him, but I think he'll probably end up staying in the rotation. Uh, if if I had to say one of them is going to go back to the or one of them is going to go to the to the bullpen out of those six guys, it probably would be Strider. Uh, one last question I'll ask you now. You and a friend of the show, Rob Silver, I saw were going back and forth on Twitter ah. the other day about the Tragically Hip, who is one of my favorite bands for the. Oh, they're amazing for the American viewers who are listening, thinking, "Who the hell are the Tragically Hip?" They were a Canadian band from Kingston, Ontario, which is about three hours uh, west of Toronto. They are, I think, maybe the greatest Canadian uh, music act. I think you could argue a couple of people like Neil Young and a couple of others, but they, they are definitely right up there. Uh, how did you discover the tragically hip? How did you get into them from Chicago? So um, I had uh, one of my best friends who now lives in Houston and he, he and I used to go to concerts, uh, dozens of concerts every year when we were single uh, before we had uh, wives and children uh, milling about the house. And um WXRT, which is a local radio station here in Chicago, I guess you would call it an alternative radio station, um, had started playing Ahead by a Century many years ago. And um, I, th- I thought it was the most unique sounding song I had heard in a really long time. And I was like, who is that? And uh, so I actually called the radio station to find out who it was because they usually tell you, but they had played like a block in a row. And they're like, it, it's a tragically hip. And I go, oh, my God, that is maybe the greatest band name I've ever heard. Right. So it kind of led that down that that rabbit hole of, okay, I like the song. I'm going to buy this record. I bought the record. That record is phenomenal. Um, and then kind of went, I found their live record and then just kind of went down that. And, and we went and saw them and I was just mesmerized by Gord. I mean, I've, there, I've never seen a front man like Gord Downey anywhere else in my life. He was the most confident. He doesn't give a shit what you think. He doesn't care. Silver outfits, the big hats. Um, and when they announced that he was sick and they were doing the tour, I was so bummed that 
um, they weren't able to do more than just the, the Canada shows that they did because I thought, boy, oh boy, I would pay top dollar to see him in, in form, you know, one last time. It was just so tragic what happened to him. Um, I, to me, in my, in my opinion, I, I, I think they're not only one of the best Canadian bands of all time, but one of the best bands of all time, a unique sound. Uh, nobody did it like they did. My favorite Canadian band of all time, though, is the band, but it's only four fifths Canadian because um, I'm an old guy and I go back that way with all that stuff. But that's how we kind of found the Tragically Hip. And it was funny because then when I brought it home and I had my wife listen to it, she was just like, my God, what a great band name. I mean, that, it, could, could there be any better band name than that? You know, and I, I don't really think that there is. Um, but they were just wonderful. Um, and I really enjoyed, um, I saw the documentary a couple of years ago that they did about that final tour. And it was, it was a very emotional thing for me to watch just to see how he went about his business and he didn't change. He didn't stop being who he was up until the very end. And I give total props and a lot of credit for that because a lot of people wouldn't have done it, handled it with the grace, grace too, huh? Grace too. Right. Right. They wouldn't have handled it with the grace that he did. Uh, he's just a mesmerizing character. I, I, I've been to a lot of shows. I've been to over 300 concerts in my life. And wow. um, I, I've never I never saw anyone that, you know, walked around like he did and did what he did. He was just a mesmerizing guy. He had a crazy presence that I can imagine was probably something similar to. And I might be about to blaspheme here to some people, but I imagine it would be similar to like Robert Plant or Freddie Mercury seeing them live. Uh and I, I might be stretching a little bit because those are maybe the two like greatest front men we've we've seen. They're pretty great. <laughs> he just he just had such a personality, and I thought it was it was a tragedy really that obviously that he was cut short so young, but also that they never found uh, like wide widespread success uh, in in the United States. They were massive here, but I don't think they really ever had that true breakthrough, which is unfortunate. But for those who are aware of the music, and for those of you who haven't, uh, you guys should really go and check out the Tragically Hip. Absolutely. They are, they are ridiculously talented. Gord Downey, the lead singer and songwriter, uh, a poet, a true poet. Yeah, we, he was phenomenal. Yeah, he's, he's one of my favorites. Guys, uh, we have been joined today by the wonderful Mike Carter, who is a writer for both Fantrax and SP Streamer. You guys can hit him up on Twitter at MDRC0508. Mike, thank you so much for joining the show today, man. I had a great time. Yo, thanks for having me. Uh, I'd love to come back on later on in the summer when the White Sox are in first place, and uh, we can chat about that again. Absolutely. Yeah, I would planned on doing uh, after the season is done. Well, hopefully I'll have you on before the season's done again. But after the season, I'm going to do like a wrap-up show for every team where we'll uh, dissect uh, hopefully all 30 teams, and I know who will be my call when it's White Sox day. Absolutely. Well, good. I'm glad. I'd, I'd love to do that. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, we'll go through like the whole roster and just uh, talk about fantasy viability and whatnot. Other stuff should be fun. Set your calendars. Not sure when, but sometime in the off season, and hopefully before we will have Mike back on the show once again. Uh, uh, thank you, man. Great, great time. Totally. Hey, totally Joe. Keep keep up the great work. Uh, you are a, a great voice that's come out here in the last year. I've really enjoyed what you've done, and I feel like you're coming on really strong and very quickly with really good content and. Uh, really astute uh, analysis so keep up the great work thank you man I, I i truly really appreciate that i've only been at this a uh, few months now but try my best uh, to break through in this world in this uh, fantasy analyst world but my uh put my journalism major to use finally starts uh, writing some baseball stuff so it's, it's been great guys like you who've come on the show uh legitimizing me a little bit have been really fantastic so guys for all of you who are still here listening throughout all of this i appreciate you guys who stick through the end we will see you again next week everybody have a great weekend cheers guys
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.